This is Chris. Welcome to the new Sunday special. It is Generation X Lapsed, Episode 1. And, uh, well, it wasn't always going to be uh, Generation X Lapsed. Uh, In fact, when we wrapped up the last one, I turned it over to our great friends over at the Facebook group, over at 90s X-Men, to see if anybody had any suggestions for where we went from here. And... I got plenty of really, really good suggestions and things that I was planning on getting to, but uh, I I liked hearing that people were interested in hearing my takes on certain stories, so uh, I was really looking forward to getting that all in motion here. But alas, um, I recently moved, and my comics are in several different locations right now. So a a lot of those suggestions I... I just didn't have the uh, the issues handy to take a look at and to cover. I'm sure I would in a few weeks, but for right now, I just don't. Um, the Sunday special I was planning on going with was going to be one I was quite excited for. It was going to be Mr. and Mrs. X Lapsed, where we were going to take a look at the Rogan Gambit miniseries that went into Mr. and Mrs. X. Now, that's a couple of stories there, or a couple of series that I was really looking forward to getting to, um, and one that I have been collecting on the uh, on the down low, I guess. Every time I come across an issue that I need, I just grab it, you know? It's not like a priority, and I don't have the entire uh, series, but I certainly had enough to get started, and uh, I had quite a bit of optimism here, considering it was uh, Kelly Thompson, who we enjoyed so much during our recent uh, dig into Deadpool over on the main X-Lapsed program. She's also the creator of Jeff the Landshark, so I mean, of course, I'm going to be all about a series that uh, she's at the helm of. Um, unfortunately, like I said, the collection is is just spread <laughs> spread to the uh, corners of my life right now, and I don't have them handy, and as they have been comics that I've been picking up kind of piecemeal as we went along... Lord only knows where they're at, and as much as I'm looking forward to doing this, I really couldn't justify uh, picking up what my good friend Walt Nealon calls convenience copies of uh, the Gam- of the Rogan Gambit and uh, Mr. and Mrs. X. I've got them. <laughs> I don't need to have more than one of each, so we will get to that before long, but for now, we're doing a book that I actually have access to, and it is... 
Volume 2 and the Legacy Era, Generation X, which let's talk a bit about Generation X here. Generation X is a very important title to me. It was, uh, as I mentioned time and again, um, when I came up in comics, the Generation X book came out uh, right when I was A, in the target audience for the book, and B, when I was uh, basically aged as a cohort to the uh, stars of the book here. I was 14 years old when Generation X number one came out, and it really spoke to me. It was just a really fun, like, traditional comic, but at the same time, it did feel a bit uh, ahead of its time. I really enjoyed it. I I mean, Chris Pachalo, one of my favorite artists of all time, was just killing it on that book. Scott Lobdell, probably one of the main reasons I'm still doing this. It was, uh, it was, you know, they created this these, this team together and uh, they crafted the book for, I want to say, probably two years or so before handing it off to, I believe it was James Robinson who came in after that. But it was around this time that I was, I was gone from uh, the X books. I had left shortly after uh, the Age of Apocalypse. So like the things like the tail end of the Lobdell Bachalo run and the Robinson run, those were things I I only experienced after the fact. But uh, I do want to talk about some of the hype around the original volume of Generation X. It was the first time I'd ever heard the, the term Ashcan. And, uh, I mean, now I think a lot of us uh, fake-ass comics historians know what ash cans are, but I remember they actually advertised the Generation X ash can edition, and it would show up, like, in Wizard magazine. So it felt to me like it was one of the more um, far-reaching ash cans. It wasn't just a... It wasn't just a limited to a couple hundred printings. It was something that was kind of out there. I don't think it was quite as plentiful as a regular issue of a comic, but it wasn't as rare as a lot of ash cans might be. And it was the first time I'd ever heard that it, there, there was a thing called an ash can. And uh, I actually went, boy, um, almost 30 years before I found it. I actually just found the Generation X ash can about a week ago as of this recording. I found it for like $2, <laughs> which, I mean, really speaks to how valuable it truly is. But... It still tickled me, and it, and I, it, I, I screamed on the inside for seeing it because I'd never, I never thought I'd have it. It was just one of those things that I always wanted, but never. I, I guess I never really put the effort into getting it, and uh, I was happy that by happenstance I came across it. And uh, I mean, there isn't much to it. There really isn't. Uh, there's not even a story in there, from what I can tell. It's just a, uh, it's just a list of the characters, a little bit of an explanation on who they are. Still, you know, really, really happy to have it. Um, but the hype around Generation X was huge because we had, we were in the era of the annual X Men event, just kind of like we are even to this day. And there was one called the Phalanx Covenant, and that was going to introduce this new generation of uh, mutants. And of course, considering that this was 1994, uh, everything had gimmicked up covers, it had. We had these cardstock covers with a band of just kind of, it's, it's foil, but it was like, it looked like phalanx skin, I guess, for lack of a better term. And all the X-Men books had this for a few months. And I, 
As a completionist, I grabbed just about as many as I could, probably all of them. Um, I don't think any of these I got after the fact, but I, I did get all of them, which probably explains why not too long after this I left <laughs> comics collecting for a bit uh, due to burnout from the gimmick covers and the overpriced uh, sort of special editions. With the Phalanx Covenant, I actually felt as though I was on the ground floor of something, and on the ground floor of something very special. And uh, it just really just fueled my interest for this ongoing uh, that was going to come out. And, I mean, speaking of gimmick covers here, I want to say Generation X number one might be the first ever Chromium cover that I ever owned or ever saw or ever knew about. I mean, we've seen the foil, we've seen holograms, we've seen die cuts, but Chromium was different. I, I mean, if you've seen the cover to Generation X number one, you know... It, it's really something to look at. Um, it's shiny, it's glossy, it's really, really sharp. And uh, this is before, of course, you know, Age of Apocalypse, where we had X-Men Alpha, which was also a, uh, a Chromium cover. But Generation X number one came out about a half year before that, what, four months before that? So that might actually be the first Chromium cover that I ever owned. I don't know what the first Chromium cover that ever was was, but... I'm pretty sure this was my first, and I, I was so excited to have it, and I, I still love that issue. It's one of my favorite issues of all time. Uh, just such a such a good time. Uh, it always reminds me, and I've said this before, it always reminds me of fall, of autumn, you know, and uh, that's my favorite time of year, and it, it always just, it hits me right where, right where I need to be hit, I guess. Um... Now, I've left, of course, but I came back during the Larry Hammer run, which sucked. Oh, it was rough. Um, folks who have, uh, folks who are knowledgeable or have experience with Generation X, you know about the Larry Hammer run and how, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say all the, the boilerplate um, cliche uh, complaints here, you know, there was the polka, of course, and that was very unpleasant. I loved the art during it. But the story was just like, what in the hell am I reading here? And uh, I, when I came uh, on board, Hammer was, he was kind of on his way out. And I might be conflating my timelines here, but I think uh, Jay Faber, or Faber, I think he came on after Larry Hammer. And uh, it felt like a real return to form for the uh, book. And it made it feel like... We were reading about kids at a school again. It, it felt like the New Mutants, even. And at, by this point, I'd already looked a little bit at the New Mutants, whatever I could find in a bargain bin, because this was still the mid to late 90s, where people thought every single issue of the New Mutants was uh, worth a whole load of money. <laughs> so I'd have to grab whatever I could in whatever condition I could. But uh, the uh, Jay Faber run just felt a whole lot like a traditional uh, superhero school book, a mutant school book, and I really, really enjoyed it. It was very interesting in that during that run, um, they opened up the Massachusetts Academy to human students, which was an interesting uh, change in dynamic. It was a very uh, teenagery book where we did have like love triangles. We had uh, Chamber and Husk. Just breaking up, getting back together, breaking up. It was a really good time. It was really, really fun. But uh, I guess sales just weren't what Marvel wanted them to be. And, I mean, this was around the time 
where uh, Bob Harris was uh, was shown the door, and we had Jemison Casada come in. Where, I mean, they were throwing the entire pot of spaghetti at the wall and, and seeing what would stick. You know, they wanted every everything had to be up in the air. Everything had to change. This is around the time where Thunderbolts changed from its classic, you know, he, villains being heroes sort of a sort of deal to like a Fight Club uh, situation, which was really really rough. Um, Things were just changing, and uh, Generation X got swept up into its own little uh, fiefdom with uh, some of the, uh, I guess, some of the lesser viable, lesser money-making X-Books in X-Force and X-Men. They were swept under Warren Ellis's uh, plot mastering in a group called Counter-X. And uh, this was a... I don't want to say it was dramatically different, but it was very different. It was maybe it was dramatically different. It was definitely different from what came before it. It felt kind of like a, for lack of a better term, like a vertigo light. Uh, you had X Force turning into like almost like a Wetworks team, and it was it was just like a black op. It was just really not not good. That was probably the weakest book of the line. Uh, X-Men changed very, very drastically from just a bog-standard superhero book to uh, making Nate Gray like this mutant shaman, or shaman, however you say that word. But kind of high concept, kind of interesting, probably benefited the most from the Counter-X shift, where Generation X was kind of in the middle, didn't change all that much. It was still kids at the school. Um, I think there were no... There might have been human students there because I think there was like some sort of a uh, riot or something or something that kind of played into some of the fears from Columbine. If I'm I'm remembering correctly, and I may not be, and I apologize if I'm not, but uh, it was still a school book. And unfortunately, uh, the Counter-X books didn't last uh, all that long here. Uh, with things like X-Force, it was a mercy killing because then we had uh, Milligan and Allred come in and do their little uh, their little dance with X-Force, which would turn into ecstatics after several months, and that was a lot of fun, uh, very, very fun. And uh, I don't know if I can call it underrated because I think anybody who read it liked it. Um, but uh, maybe... I don't even know if I should say lesser known because I'm pretty sure anybody listening knows what Ecstatics was or is. I don't know, but uh, a fun book is what I'm trying to say. X-Man went away and we wouldn't see him again for quite some time. And then Generation X went away and kind of, it was, this was when Grant Morrison came in. And I think Generation X was going to be a redundancy since, uh, Morrison's run was about changing the school into a much bigger thing, right? So things in New X-Men, you had classes, you had Zorn and his special class, you had all these new students, all these new young mutants. So Generation X was kind of a, a redundancy. Now, of course, there was a legacy of Generation X in the main X-Books. We had uh, Chamber uh, join the Uncanny X-Men uh, team, the Joe Casey team there, and... Uh, they used him to uh, fall in love with a Britney Spears stand-in or something, and then he kind of just hung out in the background. But uh, Emma Frost, the uh, you know headmistress of uh, of Generation X, the Massachusetts Academy, she went on to bigger and uh, better things, I suppose, 
as uh, just one of the mainstays of new X-Men and then just in the X-Men in general, uh, even to this very day. Banshee, the other headmaster of the Massachusetts Academy, would, uh, well, do some pretty unfortunate things in Uncanny X-Men. But uh, I think, uh, I mean, this was turn of the century, and I think a lot of us were, and this is just me projecting here, but I think a lot of us felt like we were too smart for all those 90s things, you know? So mainstays like Jubilee would kind of just go away for a bit. And the Generation X concept really wasn't mentioned a whole heck of a lot. Any t- I mean, and we've talked about this on the main x Lab show, where we talk about um, how the New Mutants are almost like fetishized, you know? The nostalgia for the New Mutants is something that um, I think speaks to a lot of folks, uh, both professional and, um, you know, just the fans. Uh, anytime there is a... A relaunch of a young X-Men book or a young mutant book It's more often than not going to be a New Mutants title And it's more often than not going to feature The classic New Mutants characters Where characters from Generation X are they, Like we see in the current one Or I guess the first arc of the Hox Pox run We had Chamber and Mondo Kind of just standing off to the side while the New Mutants did their thing And I thought that was a really cool thing to add Because it showed that there is a difference in the generations, right? You have uh, the New Mutants in a group hug And Chamber and Mondo are just like the odd men out And I thought that was cool commentary in a way But I was hopeful that it would lend, would, it would lead to something, right? Uh, maybe some prominence for our or my our Generation X characters Who really just don't get as much play as they should But let's go back to 2017 It's announced, uh, I think it was I think it was like called Resurrection with an X, of course (laughs) This is, uh, I want to say, around the launch of Blue and Gold and Weapon X All new Wolverine starring, you know, X-23 All those books that made me uh, run for the hills, basically Uh, They announced that Generation X would be making a comeback And I... I was filled with a little bit of trepidation at the thought of that. Um, now, I can appreciate fan service and callbacks and continuity porn. I, I love all that stuff. That's, you know, my bread and butter as it comes uh, to being a comic book fan here. I love callbacks. I love be- feeling rewarded for my tenure as a reader and a collector and a fan. But when I saw that Generation X was coming back, I, I wasn't sure I wanted it. Um, I felt like Generation X, and this is you know purely me projecting, maybe being a little territorial. I like them being in the past because I feel like, and this is going to sound so entitled, but I feel like they're kind of mine. You know, people of my vintage who who are coming up during the you know bombastic speculation era and uh, managed to survive <laughs> and come out the other side. And remain fans I feel like Generation X as a concept Kind of belongs to us And I mean, of course, this sounds very, very entitled And I fully appreciate the fact that it does But in 2017 um, Marvel was basically telling me That I wasn't needed anymore My money wasn't needed anymore At least that's the way it felt I feel like Marvel was chasing the moviegoer Rather than the comic book fan Even though 
I mean, the moviegoers, they're, they're not coming into comic shops, and they're sure as hell not dropping four to five bucks on a, on a 16-page pamphlet. They'll go to the movies, they'll buy the toys, they'll play the video games, they'll get the t-shirts, but they ain't coming for the comics. And unfortunately, it felt like Marvel was pandering to the moviegoer rather than rewarding you know, the people who have been here. And so seeing a concept or a title like Generation X, which I held and hold so dear, being brought back during a time like this, that made me worry a little bit, made me... Made me wonder exactly who who this book was aimed at. I mean, Generation X as a just as a term, as a cultural term, it doesn't mean anything anymore, does it? I mean, as far as like naming a team that um, that's a little bit past its sell by date, and that was one of the things that I think a lot of people thought when Generation X launched back in '94. It's like, I mean, this is <laughs> this is a weird title to give a book because. It has to be right now. It can't be. This can't go on forever. It's a cultural term talking about people at a certain point in their life right this minute. And I suppose, I mean, we could say that new mutants are no longer new after issue two. (laughs) You know, it's much less issue 100. But I don't know, it just feels like um, Marvel wasn't quite sure who they were reaching for with this book. Because clearly... You know, if you see Generation X, you're you're looking at the older fan. You're looking at the grown-up. But the way this is written, well, it's uh, kind of not. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a look at it. Uh, how about we look at it right now? I quit my yapping at least about this, and I start yapping about the issue. Let's get right into it here. This is Generation X, Volume Two, Number One. It had a July 2017 cover date. This is before legacy numbering came back, but had there been legacy numbering, this would have been LGY number 76. This issue has no title. I wish it did. I hate it when they don't, but it doesn't. Written by Christina Strain, with art by Emil Garpina. Colors, Felipe Sabrero. Sabrero. I apologize. Letters, VCs Clayton Cowles. Edits, Chris Robinson, Daniel Ketchum, Mark Panizia, and Axel Alonso. Cover price, $3.99. Went on sale May 17th of 2017. Now we open with a roll call and credits. Now the folks we're going to be paying attention to today are Jubilee, Bling, Kid Omega, Nature Girl, Morph, Hindsight, and Eyeboy. Few of those characters I do not know, but we'll meet them today. Now we open in Central Park, where Jubilee is looking for Shogo, who has gotten away from her. As she searches, she threatens to put the tot on one of those child safety harness leash gimmicks there. Uh, We can see that her old friend and teammate Chamber is there, helping her on the hunt here. He tells her how much she's matured since the days of her being a mall rat, which is a little fast and loose with their relationship, since when they met, Jubilee would pretty much take every opportunity to, like, big-league her teammates since she was tight with Wolverine and actually was an X-Man. Anyway, it's kind of necessary exposition for the direction this story is supposed to go, and since nobody cares about continuity anyway, we can allow it. Now, by this point, Shogo has popped his head out of the bush he was hiding in or behind, and Jubilee snaps him up. Shogo tugs at Chambers' bestest scarf, uh, which reminds us that You know, Jono is uh, missing the bottom portion of his face and upper part of his chest. 
And this also leads to a little play on words regarding a chamber being exposed or exposing chamber. It's, it's fine. The two friends then part company as Jubilee is late for an appointment. As she walks away, her narration talks about how things change, and she makes sure to give us a glimpse of her vampire fangs for good measure. It's not long, I mean, it's a single panel later, that she arrives at the Xavier Institute for Clowning and Sandwich Artistry. I mean, she was already in Central Park, so it's not not all that long a trip. Now, our point of view now shifts to a new character, Nathaniel Carver. I will uh, evidently come to know him as Hindsight, if the roll call page is anything to go by. He's a somewhat preppy-looking sort who uh, completely stole my haircut. Um, Unfortunately, the color, too, because his hair is almost completely gray. I thought for a moment this was, you know, ultimate Quicksilver, but it's not. Now, he arrives at Xavier's and has a look around him. Uh, He doesn't seem completely sure what to make of the place. In fairness to him, the array of characters he's seeing right off the bat is, uh, well, eclectic, to say the least. He sees Brew... Ernst, No Girl, Rockslide, Evan Apocalypse, and Glob Herman wearing glasses because he got tired of uh, putting contacts in. Now, while paying attention to all of them, he runs right into Phoebe Cuckoo. And this was back when the remaining cuckoos all had different hairstyles so we could tell them apart. And Phoebe here is a redhead, and for a moment, I thought she might be Teen Jean Grey or maybe like Hope in a schoolgirl outfit. I don't know. Anyway, they bump into one another, and when they touch, Carver can see into Phoebe's past. Now, this tells us that Hindsight's powers are psychometry, or psychometry, however you say that. I'm taking it to be something akin to Rachel's uh, chrono skimming that she's currently doing in X-Factor. Now, Phoebe doesn't take too kindly to this, and they have a contentious little exchange. After which, she introduces him to his new t- his new classmate, Benjamin Deeds. He's who we'll be calling Morph, probably because when Bendis created him, he didn't realize that the Morph from the X-Men animated series was already retconned into being the Changeling. Now, Deeds comes across kind of nebbish, and I gotta say, even even his name kind of annoys me. Um, Benjamin Deeds. Every time I see his name, my mind goes back to those horrendous Gail Simone Gus Beezer one-shots from around the turn of the century. Just, ugh, awful name. Anyway, from here, we shift scenes into headmistress Don't Call Me Kate's office, where uh, she's meeting with Jubilee. Now, if it isn't clear from the story thus far, Jubilee is here to take on a mentor role at the school. Kitty all but tries to talk her out of it, uh, citing that Jubilee's got a lot on her plate at the moment. You know, with the baby and, you know, being a vampire. Jubilee assures her that she's fine, though she is quite out to lunch at this point. She nearly feeds Shogo a bottle of blood. (sighs) It's weird to think that Jubilee's carrying around a sippy cup full of blood, but I guess that's just the world we were living in back in 2017. We go back outside. Carver and Deeds start to get to know one another, and Deeds accidentally and involuntarily morphs his face to look like Carver's. More or less to show us what his powers are, I would guess. Carver suggested it must be very helpful for using dating apps, which is something that Deeds never even considered. Their chat is thankfully interrupted by Bling smashing through the wall right next to them. You see, she'd been hurled through by Quentin Quire after scuffing his very expensive shoes. 
Just then, QQ is attacked by ducks, courtesy of Nature Girl, who is flanked by iBoy. So I, I guess the gang's all here. Um, we've come a long way since the days of husk, sink, and skin, haven't we? A long way down, that is. Um, they all fight for a bit, until hindsight tackles Quentin out of the way of some falling debris. Quentin doesn't take too kindly to this, and so he socks our POV character in the mush. This skin-to-skin contact activates Nathaniel's psychometry powers, and so he can see into QQ's past. Quentin, as you might imagine, doesn't appreciate this either. Now, while he's distracted, either Bling or a duck manages to knock him on his butt. The art is kind of unclear here. Quentin then finds himself at the feet of Kitty Pride, where she's got one of her feet phased and literally up Quentin's ass. She threatens to solidify if the boy gets up, which is, you know, a sort of brutality I didn't think don't yet call me Kate acquired until the current year Marauders stuff, but what are you going to do? Now, while Kitty lectures the group, Carver's all F this noise, and he nopes out of the whole Generation experience. Kitty dismisses everyone except Choir, who is left to clean up the mess, which, I mean, it includes, you know, fallen lighting rigs and, like, a big hole in a brick wall. I'd figure this might be at least a two-man job, but he's screwed. Now, while Quentin broods, we can see that he is in the sights of someone holding a pair of binoculars, and we'll get to that before we leave. But first... We gotta do that thing where our new mentor character chases after the newbie who decides to quit in order to talk them into staying. And I swear, we've seen takes on this exact same scene play out like dozens of times in the X-Books already. Um, I mean, was it Skin who noped out of the original Generation book for like five or six panels the first time around? Yeah. Naturally, it doesn't take long for Jubilee to get Carver to do that thing like, you know, where you, like, rub the back of your neck to, like, physically show that you're thinking about something, you're considering things. So he's doing that. But we don't get a chance to get an answer yet because the millennial Gen Xers are then attacked by the Purifiers. And, uh, well, if that doesn't make you want to pick up the second issue of the series, I don't know what will. But... That's where we leave it. So, let's talk about this. Um, I could have sworn I'd read this, because uh, I think I cited this as one of the reasons why I ran away from the X-Books the first time around. But uh, in my older age, you know, I am probably about three or three and, three and change years older than when I first read this, uh, I thought maybe I'd appreciate it a little bit more. Um, I did not. I didn't hate it. But uh, I really wasn't too big a fan of it, and there are a few reasons why. Um, I've been picking this book up, uh, just kind of like I mentioned with the uh, the Rogan Gambit books. I've been picking them up, but I haven't been prioritizing them. And it turned out that about a week ago, um, I think it was the same day I found the ash can, I got the last issue of this run that I needed out of a uh, out of a fifty cent or a dollar bin, and. It was actually the final issue, which I think is number 87, which we'll be getting to in like 11 weeks, I guess. But uh, I always look at the last issues because I, I like to see if there's any sort of um, any sort of note from the creators there. You know, uh, even though this is long, 
gone. I always try to see if there were any plans for any of these characters, like if they make a note, it's like, oh, you can follow these characters in this book, or this character in this book. Or maybe like, hey, keep writing Marvel, maybe they'll bring us back. I always like to see what kind of a note we get. And the note we did get, I mean, it was a very heartfelt note by Christina Strain, but it said something that didn't inspire a lot of confidence, in that uh, she says she was approached to pitch a teen uh, mutant book. And I mean, that's all well and good. I mean, editors are supposed to do that kind of thing, but that tells me that this wasn't really a passion project. I mean, I have very, very few rules about content creation as a fake-ass content creator myself, but I like to think that if you're creating something and you're expecting someone to invest time, money, effort, uh, heart into um, whatever it is that you're creating, that uh, it should be something you're passionate about. And, I mean, there's no right or wrong way. This is just me being me. But I would like to think if someone had a Generation X story they needed to tell, that they would go to an editor and say, hey, I want to write Generation X. I want to write this new take on Generation X, rather than be approached by an editor who just says, hey, you want to do a teen book? Just figure it out. (laughs) I mean, that just uh, doesn't inspire a whole lot of confidence in me. Another thing, and this was from some research I did on the early issues of this series, I read, and I mean, I don't know how true this is, but uh, I did read in a few different places that uh, the writer had to be pretty much brought up to speed by the fans about some of the recent goings-on in some of the cast's life, uh, like Quentin Quire showing up in Thor. Um, I would like to think that if you're writing a comic, you know what the characters were up to uh, just a couple of months before your comic comes out. And I mean, we all come from different places. We all have different levels of uh, buy-in on on comics and the fandom and the industry. But that just doesn't inspire a whole heck of a lot of uh, confidence in, in how this book is going to go. I'm hopeful and optimistic that I'm wrong. And this issue wasn't wasn't bad. It wasn't a bad issue. It was just a very tropey boilerplate first issue of an X Men comic. I mean, we could have played, you know, issue one bingo here. We get a point-of-view character who really doesn't know what to make of things. That same point-of-view character considers quitting and has to be talked into staying. We've got the cliffhanger. We have a fight that breaks out for a silly reason. It's... It felt very, very samey. These characters could have been pretty much any character. It didn't matter which X characters these were. They were just bodies occupying space, you know? Um, And again, we're just one issue in, so I I don't want to make any, you know, snap judgments and just declare that I'm going to hate this or I'm going to love this or whatever. I'm still on. I'm still on board because this this is a series that I want to read. Generation X is, as I mentioned, very, very important to me, and it always felt weird to me that there were issues of it that I didn't own. And that's why I've been putting a little bit of effort into grabbing this second volume and then the uh, tail end of that legacy run that went to a mighty three issues, I think, after their legacy numbering came back, which is another thing that doesn't inspire a terrific amount of confidence in uh, how this is going to go. But I'm going to be open-minded. I'm going to be as optimistic as possible, and we're going to take it as it comes. 
I hope that uh, there are folks out there who want to come on this journey with me or just relive it vicariously through this program. And if you do, I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, on this series. And also, your thoughts on Generation X Prime, you know, the original run. Uh, I know we have some pretty big Generation X fans out there, uh, like our good friend Jesse D. Young, who might be the biggest Generation X fan that I know. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that series and this series. Maybe tell me a little bit about your history with this franchise, how you were introduced to them, if you stuck around the whole time, and if you enjoyed this second run, because I hope I do. I hope I do. Um, And and it's weird, because I'm reading this because... Basically, I want to know how Jubilee um, lost her vampireness, and I hear that it's in this series that it happens. So I would like to see, I would like to experience firsthand how that uh, works itself out. I, I think the Phoenix is involved, but I don't, I don't know exactly how. So that I'm looking forward to. I hope you are as well. And here's to uh, twelve or so weeks of Generation X lapsed. Now, uh, if you'd like to uh, write in and chat with me about anything in the world, please feel free to do so. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, or you can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can talk with us on Facebook. The little group is 90s X-Men. And for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Well, that will do it for today. I want to thank you all so much for joining me on this new venture, this new extended, I guess we can call this a maxi-series, since it's going to be about 12 episodes long. So it's not a mini-series, it's a maxi-series. So I hope we're all on board for this, and hopefully we'll survive the uh, Generation X experience. Oof, that was bad. I apologize. Um, Anyway, (laughs) thanks again, and as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.